Well, good morning, everybody. <clears throat> we are uh, reading together about David's life uh, from the books of First and Second Samuel. And this morning, uh, after spending a couple of weeks in the prelude uh, to his life, we get uh, to the first story uh, about David. He doesn't uh, actually say or do uh, anything in this story, but show up at the tail end of it. And uh, that fact may be one of the most important things about this story. So let me read uh, from 1 Samuel 16 for us. I'll read verses 1 through 13. The Lord said to Samuel, How long will you grieve over Saul, since I have rejected him from being king over Israel? Fill your horn with oil and go. I will send you to Jesse, the Bethlehemite, for I have provided for myself a king among his sons. And Samuel said, How can I go? If Saul hears it, he will kill me. And the Lord said, take a heifer with you and say, I have come to sacrifice to the Lord and invite Jesse to the sacrifice and I will show you what you shall do and you shall anoint for me him whom I declare to you. Samuel did what the Lord commanded and came to Bethlehem. The elders of the city came to meet him trembling and said, do you come peaceably? And he said, peaceably. I have come to sacrifice to the Lord. Consecrate yourselves and come with me to the sacrifice. And he consecrated Jesse and his sons and invited them to the sacrifice. When they came, he looked on Eliab and thought, surely the Lord's anointed is before him. But the Lord said to Samuel, do not look on his appearance or on the height of his stature because I have rejected him. For the Lord sees not as man sees. Man looks on the outward appearance, but the Lord looks on the heart. Then Jesse called Abinadab and made him pass before Samuel, and he said, Neither has the Lord chosen this one. Then Jesse made Shammah pass by, and he said, Neither has the Lord chosen this one. And Jesse made seven of his sons pass before Samuel. And Samuel said to Jesse, The Lord has not chosen these. Then Samuel said to Jesse, Are all your sons here? And he said, there remains yet the youngest, but behold, he is keeping the sheep. And Samuel said to Jesse, send and get him, for we will not sit down till he comes here. And he sent and brought him in. Now he was ruddy and had beautiful eyes and was handsome. And the Lord said, arise, anoint him, for this is he. Then Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him in the midst of his brothers. And the spirit of the Lord rushed upon David from that day forward. And Samuel rose up and went to Ramah. This is God's word, and it's given for our good. Let me pray for us. Father, we ask uh, that you would use this word that we have just read uh, and heard together, that we're going to talk about together. Father, we ask that you would use it to show us the word who is seated right beside you now, who wears our flesh who's praying for people like us right now. Show us Jesus' grace. Meet us through this word and and through your spirit. In whatever places we find ourselves and whatever conditions we find ourselves in, um, those of us who have faith and those of us who aren't sure, Father, meet us through this word and show us your grace. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, shortly uh, after college, I, uh, I shared an apartment with a bunch of uh, friends for a couple of years. 
And one of the guys uh, that stayed in that apartment, we'll call him uh, P. Vanderbile, just to keep, uh, just to keep him anonymous. He had uh, taken a pretty bad fall on a ropes course and had hurt his back. I mean, we all uh, felt pretty uh, young and invincible back then, but even so, uh, you could tell uh, that this was really hurting him. It was pretty obvious that his back hurt. Well, Christmas uh, was coming up, and the roommates decided uh, to do a secret Santa, and I got Paul V in the draw. So I decided to get him something that would help his back. Uh, It was this little um, wooden claw-like massage thing that had a little smiley face on it. Probably cost about six bucks at the CVS. So the time came for the gift exchange, and uh, Paul opened his gift, and he had no idea what it was. So I, I proudly explained it to him, and then I offered to show him how much this thing was going to help him. So I jammed this thing into his lower back, and he yelled louder than I have ever heard any human being ever yell before. I hurt him, <laughs> and my, uh, my savior complex uh, was shattered. And my point is this, sometimes what we really need is to be saved from our so-called saviors. And this is precisely where the story that we just read together starts. And here's the sad truth. Israel needed to be saved from her own king. So how did we get to this place? Well, we spent the last couple of weeks talking about Hannah who had asked God to give her a son and made a promise that if God gave her this son, she would give him back. So her son that God had given her, Samuel, he's at the center of this story. Samuel had grown up to be a great leader in Israel. I mean, he had his flaws, definitely, but he was described in this story as a judge, as a prophet who had favor with all of the people. It was said that God was with him. It was said that God didn't let any of his words fall to the ground. It's a pretty beautiful image. He had led Israel out of a chaotic and violent period in her history. But his sons, to be honest, were bums. And as uh, Samuel grew old, he tried to set his sons up as his successors, and they proved to be as unfaithful as he had been faithful. They were bribe takers. They perverted justice to suit themselves and to suit their friends. And so the people rejected his sons, and they began to ask Samuel to give them uh, a king. You know, all of the nations around them had a king, and and they figured if, if we had one, maybe our national fortunes would change for the better. So they asked Samuel for a king, and reluctantly, he established a man named Saul to be the king, the first king. And he started well, um, but you know, of course, it's for good reasons that Lord Acton wrote that uh, line that we quote to ourselves often, that power tends to corrupt. He wrote that because it's true in history, and it was certainly true in Saul's life. And Samuel had to be the one eventually to tell Saul that his days as a king were numbered. So here is Samuel um, after decades of strong, good leadership. 
and everything is falling apart in front of his eyes. His whole life's work is falling apart. He can't help but see Saul's failure as a referendum on his own leadership. And on top of that, Saul has proven to be a violent and unpredictable man. He is leading the nation into trouble. And so Samuel is grieving over Saul. (laughs) And Israel needs to be saved from its supposed savior. And it's probably not hard uh, for any of us to think in our own lives of things that we, you know, were sure would deliver us, things that we were sure would change us and change things around us for the better, things that we were sure would help us, and they did not. Failed saviors that we need saving from. So this is the point in the story where God comes to ask Samuel how long he's going to keep grieving. God says, no, get up and go to Bethlehem uh, because there is a guy there named Jesse. He has eight sons. And God says, I have provided for myself a king among his sons. A more literal reading of that and the one that I think is actually a better reading of that is that God says to him, I have seen for myself a king among his sons. But Samuel balks. He's, he's afraid that if Saul, the king, catches wind that he is on the move, that he'll kill him. So God gives him a cover story. He says, go to Bethlehem under the auspices of worship. I mean, it would be funny if, if it wasn't so sad. But God knows that if Saul thinks Samuel is on the move for some religious thing, he won't care all that much. And the plan works. And he gets to Bethlehem. And of course, uh, as good students of the political intrigues of their nation, the elders of Bethlehem are terrified that he's come. He assures them that he is there peaceably. He invites Jesse and his sons to join him uh, for the sacrifice and join him for the feast. Now these boys are uh, the grandsons, the great-grandsons of Ruth and Boaz, those folks that we read about together in the fall. It's pretty great. And this is when uh, the parade of sons begins. (laughs) When Jesse's sons stroll up, the writer tells us that Samuel looked. And when he looked, he saw, and he was pretty sure he knew where things were headed. He saw Eliab, the tallest, the oldest of Jesse's sons. And he thought to himself, surely this is the Lord's anointed standing right in front of me. This kid right here, he has got to be the new king. You know, and in some ways, it made sense. (laughs) Kings were often uh, the tallest and the strongest of the people. In In the old Iron Age, kings actually led armies into battle, so it made sense to pick the biggest, strongest guy for the job. And more than that, When Samuel saw this guy, his mind, I am sure, raced back to better times. I'm sure when he saw this guy, his his mind raced back to more hopeful times. When he first saw Saul, there was not a man among the people of Israel more handsome than he. We were told back in chapter 9, from his shoulders upward, he was taller than everyone else in the nation. I mean, when Samuel saw Eliab, what he saw was Saul all over again. He saw power 
and he saw good looks, and he saw strength, and he saw promise. And his impulse was to go to strength and power, to those things that he knew. And I think this is a great moment for people like us to stop and, and to think about how we do that too. I mean, humans are always tempted to run in exactly those grooves. We run easy to the stuff that we think will work. I mean, if I want to see uh, some change in a person around me, or if I want to see some change in a situation around me, I can run easy to use anger, or to use shame, or to use fear. And I can run easy to them because those things are quick and effective. But anger and shame and fear are also hurtful and destructive to me and to everyone around me. Or we try to, we try to fill, we try to soothe a sense of sadness or loneliness or boredom with a trusty addiction. And it works for a minute. We run easy to that stuff and it works for a little while. But then we feel our own sense of self. We feel our own agency in this world slowly starting to slip away. Or we think, you know, if we can look good, <laughs> if we can get the best grades, if we can have a big account balance, if we can be an awesome parent, then maybe that nagging sense that I don't measure up, maybe that'll start to fade away. And it's all well and, and good until one of those things is taken away or we can't quite make it happen. So you know what we need? <laughs> we need to be saved from all of those fake saviors. And church, this is, this is exactly what the Christian faith offers to people like us. First, in the forgiveness of an actual, real flesh and blood Savior who loves us and gives his life for us. In his inexhaustible grace, he offers to us real forgiveness for all of those bad choices that we have ever made. And then after forgiveness, he offers us ongoing healing and ongoing renewal and newness. And the truth is part of following him in faith and following him in repentance is, is learning what the good news of Jesus, learning what his gospel has to say about those things that we want it delivered from. Part of following him is learning what Jesus has to say in his good news about our, our sense of self and our agency in this world. It's learning what he has to say about our sadness or our loneliness or even our boredom. It's learning about what the gospel has to say about actual change in ourselves or the people around us or in the broken world around us. It's learning what the gospel has to say about that nagging feeling that we all have that we will not measure up. I'm not saying that learning those things and living out of those things is easy or snappy. <laughs> but I am saying that Jesus speaks directly and hopefully and truthfully to all of them. 
He brings healing. He is the savior that we need from all of our fake saviors and all of their dumb promises of deliverance. You know, and the truth is he doesn't usually come to us in the easy and obvious way. That means that people like us, we need to cultivate the habit of of looking for him and hearing him in ways that might not be usual for us. I mean, that's what God says to Samuel, I think. The Lord doesn't see like man sees. Man looks on the outward appearance, but God looks on the heart. So the sons, (laughs) they just keep parading in front of Samuel. (laughs) It's meant to be funny, I think. They just keep parading in front of him, and all of them aren't the king. I mean, after the third one, the names don't even matter anymore. (laughs) Stampy, Clampy, Jay, Sonny, none of them are the king. So Samuel gets confused, you know, and he asks, hey, is this all of your sons? And Jesse says, well, no. I mean, the truth is I have another one. He's the baby of the family. And we left him to watch the sheep because the sheep don't, you know, take care of themselves. He's not here. And if we're training our our hearts and our minds and our eyes and our ears to see what the larger story of God is in this world and to see how he does things in this world, then we hear that and we think, of course. Of course. Of course it's the kid that they left home. He's the king. Because God chooses the foolish And he chooses the weak and he chooses the things that are not. That is his way in this world. We heard about it in the gospel lesson. They they look at Jesus and they go, isn't isn't this guy just the carpenter? Isn't he Mary's son? I mean, we know his whole family. You've got to be kidding me. But the stone that the builders rejected, it's become the cornerstone. He brings healing and forgiveness. So David, you know, he doesn't even get named till the last verse in the story. He doesn't do anything in this story but show up late to the party, indicated as the one who is the last and least of all. And in doing that, he points people like us to the better king who has come for us. May God help us to see and to believe. Let me pray for us. Father, we ask that you would deliver us from all our fake deliverers and all the ridiculous promises of deliverance. Father, we ask that you would help us to see exactly who Jesus is, indicated as the last and the least of all, the one from whom we hide our faces. And yet he comes with healing and forgiveness and renewal. Father, help us to see him. Help us to develop the eyes and the ears and the heart to be able to see and hear him when he comes with healing. Father, we ask uh, that you would do this um, so that we would be healed, (laughs) so that we would grow up in our own faith, and so that through us we can slowly become a people through through whom you can love this broken world around us. And we pray this all in Christ's name.
the one who came for us. Amen.